uh, or Friday night. It was really uh, an amazing moment in the life of our church. I'm so grateful. It's actually a, a nine-year prayer of mine. We had Noche de Vida on Friday night, which was, means night of life. And it was um, kind of our first outreach to the Spanish-speaking community in Tulsa. And I'm so thankful. You know, it's interesting when you um, call AT&T or if you call to check on your water bill in Owasso, what, what do you hear on the first message? It says, para español pone número ocho or whatever. Is that right, Stacey? Did I say that right? Um, check my Spanish. Um, but uh, push number eight is what it says. And, um, and so, you know, it's interesting, the water department and Walmart, they, they notice that in this area there's a lot of people that speak Spanish. And, and we should notice that too as a church. And, uh, and so we're putting a big hook in the water this year, and I'm so excited. That's why you see signs around here in Spanish, and, and uh, because we want to be able to invite somebody that speaks Spanish to our church and to the Lord. And, and now we can, and I'm excited about that. Um, you know, here's something I also want to throw out to you. You know that every Wednesday night, we have what we call a second language learner group on Wednesday nights, where we're teaching people how to learn English. Because there's a lot of people in Owasso, not just Spanish speakers, but a lot of people that, that are learning a second language, or learning English. They, 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 English is not their first language. Just this week, I was having some pants worked on. And, uh, and I took it to a lady, and she's from Laos, and, and she doesn't speak English well. I said, hey, you know what? On Wednesday nights, you can come to our church and learn English, and it's free. And, and, but we need some workers. Maybe you would be uh, uh, interested in helping on Wednesday nights, and Wednesday nights are free for you. Boy, that, that's a great place. That, that, and don't worry, you, we, we, we'll teach you how to how to walk through this class. And, um, but, but that may be a place you could serve. It, it, and what's cool about that, it's like, it's like world missions right here in town. And, and we get to do missions right here. And that's what I love about the United States. I love, about li- I love that about living here. Because we have people all over the world that come here. And, and, and you know, and I need to mention this more often. This is something I'm convicted about. Um, do you know that we're called to go to the nations? We don't, have to, we don't even have to pray about that calling. The Bible's already told us that we're called. But we don't have to pray about it. Are we called to go share the gospel all over the world? If, if you have a calling on your life to go around the world to share the gospel, do you realize that we can help you? I can help you do that? That we have a vehicle, a, a, a pathway to the nations? Uh, there's a um, young man that I got to spend some time with a few days ago that uh, he wanted an international work experience on his resume. And so he spent two years in Cambodia with our IMB missionaries just working. And, um, and, and I'll tell you, we can help you get to the nations. And so if that's a call in your life, uh, we can help you. Um, but, but before you answer that call, let's answer the call right here. And so, because that's, that's what we're called to do. Um, you know, I love missionary stories. I love how missionaries are, are used by the Lord around the world and even here. And, and this is one of my prayers that we build a missionary mindset right here. Well, I don't know if you remember in 2001, there's a really cool missionary story. There was a group of, of people that got uh, kidnapped by the, or they got arrested by the Taliban 
for sharing the gospel. It was in 2001. I don't know if you remember the names um, uh, Dana Curry and Heather Mercer. You remember those names in 2001? Some of you weren't alive in 2001. Uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, those, those were big names. They were arrested. They were, and then later they were rescued by American soldiers and, uh, and they, got, they, they survived the arrest from the Taliban. And, and what's interesting about their, their interview afterwards, they were interviewed about what was the hardest thing you had to go through while you were arrested and while you were uh, um, taken by the Taliban. And you know what they said? They said the hardest part was, um, was getting along with each other while we were in these tight quarters. And I thought that was really interesting. That, that the hardest part was not the Taliban, not the people that, that arrested them or, or, or that took them captive. The hardest part was their relationship with each other in these quarters that they were in. They were pretty tight quarters. And, 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 and when you think about it, I think it, that makes sense because, you know, we tend to uh, ha- need to forgive n- not just a captor. It, it's, it's, more, it's, not, it, it's actually more difficult to forgive one another than those that are outside of us, right? Isn't it? I, I think that's interesting that they had a harder time forgiving each other than they did forgiving the Taliban. But, but that's true in our experience as well. Think about the, what the Bible says. Um, the Bible says that they're going to know we are Christians by our what? Love, by our love for one another. But, but it, what, what we find, though, is that we tend to be most hurtful and most unwilling to forgive those that we know the best rather than those that we don't know. Now, most definitely, we're in, if you have your Bibles, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, so turn there. And if, you, if you're wanting to follow along in our notes, we have our app that if you, uh, hopefully you've downloaded that, but in our app, you can follow along the notes today, and, and there'll be a lot of stuff on the screen you could keep up, but, but I just want to keep our app in front of you, because it's really helpful. But, but we're in 1 Corinthians 13, and we're just kind of marching through this incredible chapter. And, and though oftentimes this chapter is, written, is, is spoken of at weddings and things like that, the, the reality is it's written to a church. It's written to the church at Corinth. And, and, and they were called to love people. They were called to, to love people that disagreed with them and that didn't live like them. And, and this is very important. We are called to inject ourselves to outsiders as a church, that we are called to, to be a light to the world, to, to, to be an example to the lost. But, but you know what? One of the things that, that will be a, the best witness to the lost is how we forgive one another, how we love one another. This is why Jesus said in, in John 17, in Jesus' prayer, it's such a fascinating prayer, when he says that uh, he prayed for our unity, for the unity of, of those who would believe in him. He prayed for us, that we would be one. And if you read John 17, verses 20 and 21, he says he prayed that we would be so unified that the world would believe that Jesus was sent. And it's how we love one another, it's how we forgive one another that's so important. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is, is a powerful passage because uh, it, it's, 
And and this morning as we walk through verse 6, and that's where we're going to be today, we're going to recognize that the importance of forgiveness, the importance of not holding on to hurts. And I would argue that it's the holding on to hurts that wrecks so many marriages, that wrecks so many relationships with fathers and sons and daughters and mothers and sons and daughters. It's the holding on to resentment and unforgiveness that wrecks so many families. It wrecks a lot of churches. You have churches then that, that won't forgive one another. And, and, and I, uh, I've learned this in my marriage. I, you know, I love my, my wife is teaching a Sunday school class right now. She was in the first service. But I mentioned with her in the room that, that you know, the truth is, we say this to married couples all the time, nobody has hurt Robin more than I have. And nobody has hurt me more than she has. Because the very nature of our relationship, it's every day. I'm around her. Every, she knows where I am every day. And, and the nature of our relationship is so close that, that it's in our marriage that we learn that forgiveness is most common. We've got to learn to forgive. And it's in family that we learn to forgive. It's in church that we learn to forgive. And forgiveness is important. And I thought it was really interesting that these missionaries would say what was most difficult was working out our relationship with each other versus the Taliban. But that makes so much sense. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, God is teaching us, and he's offering a real challenge to us to confront our unforgiveness. So as we keep marching through this, okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to be in verse 6 today. Um, so let's stand together and read verses 1 through 6, um, and let's dig into this today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or 13, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and and if I deliver my body up to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Maybe seated. Now, now though I've used an example of of my marriage, which is often the interpretation of this passage, let's keep in mind that, that, that really the context of it, it's written to the church. And And our church is learning what love looks like. It's learning what it looks like to really love like Jesus loved. And and, and this is very important, especially as we navigate these cultural shifts that are taking place, where where we're moving into a world that is becoming more antagonistic to us as followers of Christ, or or it's becoming more um, um, polarized from what we read in the Scripture. But, But the Bible is clear. That if we're going to learn to love, we've got to learn to forgive one another. We've got to learn to forgive those that are closest to us. And, and I want you to notice that um, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, where it says, 
it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Now, now most of the time we think about, okay, that's, that's an interesting statement. Of course, we wouldn't rejoice in wrongdoing. But let's think about the temptation that we have to rejoice in wrongdoing, how, how common this is for us. Because, um, uh, you know, what is wrongdoing when we see wrongdoing? What does it do? It captures our attention, doesn't it? When, when there's a fight, what happens when there's a fight? Everybody's like, whoosh, circle up, right? Because we're captured, we're captivated by wrongdoing. And sometimes it's like, oh, that's terrible. Look at that. Oh, look at that. It captures our attention, right? Um, it's hard to forget wrongdoing. And, and it, it seems like strange that we would rejoice in wrongdoing, but, 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 but honestly, when we, when we don't let wrongdoing go, when we keep looking at it, focusing on it, when, it, when we stop forgetting it, when we don't release it, it's, it becomes a focus. And the principle of 1 Corinthians 13, 6 is this, that love keeps no record of wrongs. And that's the idea of, of rejoicing in wrongdoing. It's not keeping a record of things, of, of wrongdoing. So, so when somebody wrongs you, you're not keeping a record of that. Some of us are really good at keeping a record of wrongdoing, Right? We have a tendency to go, yeah, I know every, every time you've wronged me in my marriage or, or every time in my, with your children. Or, uh, and, and the reality is we've got to learn to forgive. This, the idea here of, of, this, of Paul's intention here, it's an accounting term. It, it's, it, it's a ledger term. that this, this is somebody that's keeping a ledger of wrongs. And, it's, and he's telling us. God's word tells us over and over again, not just here, but love does not keep a record of wrongs. Amen. And some of us today, you know the truth is? We need to tear up some records, some ledgers of wrongs. And that's really what we're seeing here. Now, now as I think about the lesson in Scripture, there's so many places to, to process this record of wrongs. But, but you know, as a, in our Bible studies, we, and I would challenge you to, to consider going to a Bible study. Don't just come and look at the back of someone's head here in the big room. Let's plug into small groups. And, and our small groups for our adults have, been, have just gotten out of Job. And I think we're in Ecclesiastes now, but we just got out of Job. And Job is a tremendous example of what forgiveness looks like. Job was forgiving. And when you think about Job, you know Job, the story of Job. He, he was the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest men of his time. Uh, uh, he was very successful, Job. Uh, but it, we see his story, and he's a fam- his famous story. He, in one day, he lost everything. Lost it all. His wife turned against him. His kids were killed. He lost all his wealth. He had this incurable disease with all this pain and Everything that, that meant something to him was gone. And it's interesting. And because I look at Job and I think, man, I, I, I think I have problems until I read Job's story and go, man, I don't have any problems when it comes to, to him. And, and uh, but he lost, uh, lost everything. And then just when he thinks, well, at least he's got his friends, right? His friends, oh man, everybody needs a friend. His friends come and just throw him under the bus, right? So it's like, man, the guy can't get a break. And, and when you think about the story of Job, he had every reason to be resentful to God, to be resentful to relationships in his life, but yet he wasn't. And he sets this example for us. And, and, and 1 Corinthians 13, 6 pushes us to this in, important principle 
of how do we love at a deeper level. And, and if we're to love at this deep level that God intends us to learn, we will not be people that keep a record of wrongs. Let's think about this. Let's, let's dive into this. How do we get there? How do we get to the point where we're like, okay, Chris, the Bible says don't do it, but how do we actually flesh it out? Well, first thing is this. If, you have, if you're taking notes today, first, first step, I think, in, in coming to grips with your wrongs is that you should admit you're hurt. Admit you're, you're having a problem. Admit you're struggling. I, I found in my marriage that, that when I look at Robin and say, look, I, this upsets me. This is frustrating to me. And, and coming to that point of admission is, is critical because we can't deal with anything until we face it, right? We gotta face it. We gotta face the, the wrongs that, that are happening to us. And, and Job did that. And Job didn't deny his pain. He didn't deny his hurt. And, and let's look at some of the, his experiences. Job understood that he had to admit his hurt. And he says in Job 7, 11, Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul, Job says. And that, that's interesting to me that, that Job would say, I'm complaining. But when you know the story of Job, he didn't sin against God. And this is a really important principle that do you realize that God can handle your questions? God can handle your struggles. When you don't understand something, it's okay to go to God and say, God, I don't understand. Psalm 13, Psalm 77, these are important psalms that help us realize God is not offended by your questions and God desires your honesty. And this is true in all of our lives. And, and Job is, is getting honest with his hurt. He says in Job 10, 1, 1 and 2, I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. And Job admits his hurt. And this is a very important um, step in our lives to admit when we're angry, admit when we're wrong. And, and this didn't take God by, by surprise. He knew Job was hurt. He knew he was struggling. And God wasn't going, oh, Job, I didn't see that coming. Same is true with you. When you're hurt in your relationships with somebody else, admit that hurt. Um, but sometimes we don't want to deal with things. Let me ask you a question. What are you refusing to deal with in your life today? What kind of hurts, what kind of ledgers are, your, are you keeping to God or maybe to somebody else? You just don't want to admit. You know, I think it's important to admit our struggles. I think it's important to admit where we are. And I think it's important to recognize that God doesn't get offended when we're honest with him. And is there something in a relationship that you have, maybe in your marriage, that you're trying to pretend is not there? Look, you've got to admit it. And, and because when we don't admit it, lots of tough stuff happens. You know what we start to do? We start to go negative. We start to think, when we hold something in and don't bring it up, we start to think negative. And haven't you known, don't you realize that, that negative thoughts, negative, um, um, negative desires, you know what, it's progressive, isn't it? 
it, it produces more negative. It's like, it's like when, when you're mad at somebody and you start looking at the negative things, you start thinking, oh, well, you know, this is bad too, and, and this is bad too, and you know what? That guy, he does this, and, and, and you start getting to focus on all the negative. And you know what you do? Uh, negative, um, we tend to overlook the positives. We tend to not even notice the positive things. And, and, and when we love somebody, what, what I believe 1 Corinthians 13 is telling us, when we love somebody, we learn to overlook the negatives. When we're bitter, we tend to overlook the positives. And, and I think God is helping us confront this balance. Look, we, recognize, we need to recognize that, you know, there are negative aspects about, Robin can point to the negative things about me, but she also can recognize the positives. And, and coming to a balance is important. And I think admitting the struggles is this first step to recognize that forgiveness, you know what you find? Forgiveness starts to take root. And you know what I am praying today? I'm praying that, that, that those that walked in the room today, and bitterness is the root, that forgiveness starts to take root in your heart. And that's important. Now, to keep no record of wrongs means that you, that, that the first step to that is, is to confront your hurt. But the second step, to keep no record of wrongs, you, you refuse to retaliate. You know, you know, sometimes we want to retaliate when we're wronged. And, and we've seen a bad example in, in our culture over the last years of of, man, when uh, we want to retaliate. We, it, it's, it's like we've, we've forgotten 1 Peter 3.9. You know what 1 Peter 3.9 says? Let's think about 1 Peter 3.9. He says, do not repay. I'm, I've been working on memorizing this. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Okay, think about that. Peter says, we have a tendency to repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but Peter says, don't repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Now think about this. To this you were called. Now wait a minute. Okay, God has called us not to repay evil for evil, or insult for insult. But when evil comes, when insults come, we are to bless. To this you were called. And I think that's fascinating to me. But then he goes on. To this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Notice that. God says that here and all through the scriptures that, that if if you respond to a hurt with a blessing that God rewards you. And let's not forget that. Let's not forget that the next time that somebody insults you, respond with a blessing. The next time somebody has a hurt against you, respond with a blessing. God says this crazy thing, you'll inherit a blessing. In many ways, now this is a dumb illustration, but you're going to remember it, okay? You need to go Elsa on these things. Y'all get that? Okay. 
That was so pastorally relevant. It was amazing. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Elsa, let it go, let it go. Okay, that's really bad. That's all I'll sing of that song. But, but, but you know what? We've got to refuse to retaliate. We've got to let some things go. That's hard. It's hard to do. But the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It does not keep this ledger of wrong. And so what we learn to do is not only do we learn to admit our mistakes, not only do we, learn, we say we are going to refuse to retaliate. But the, the third step, when I think about learning to forgive, we need to learn to release the offender. When somebody offends you, you need to release them. Now, that's easier said than done because forgiveness is easy unless you have something to forgive, right? But, but we've got to learn to, that, that, that holding on to bitterness, when we hold on to bitterness, it's like I'm going to grab a hot coal and I'm going to throw it at you. The problem is when you grab the hot coal, what's happening? It's burning your own hand. And so we, we, we recognize that holding on to hate and resentment and unforgiveness, what does that do? It, it really hurts yourself. And this is why God moves us to to understand this. This is why Job is such a good example to us, because he didn't do that. He didn't hold on to resentment. And and even though it wasn't his fault, and he was totally innocent, when people came to him and threw him under the bus, he released them. He didn't focus in on on his offenders. He was like, you know, he, he forgave them. And we understand this because we, when we focus in on our offenders or their offenses, it, it's damaging to us. It's kind of like when I taught my kids how to drive. Uh, my, my son turned 21 44 minutes ago. Um, he's here today. I'm so glad he's here. He was born today at 11 o'clock. He's 21 years old today. And his mom is happy because he's here with him uh, or with her. She, he's here. We're excited. But... But, but, you know, when I, when I was teaching my kids how to drive, I, I, I was teaching them, hey, that center line, that's pretty important. Because if you cross that center line, that's a bad day, right? And, and so we taught them the center line is important, but don't focus on the center line. Because what happens when you're driving and you focus on the center line? You drift into the line, right? Well, the same is true about bitterness. When we focus on our bitterness, we tend to become more bitter. When we focus on unforgiveness, we tend to just get soured, and, and it's difficult. And, and, and I love what Job did because Job was this great example of releasing forgiveness. And, and notice what, what happened when he did this. He, God brought restoration to Job after he released this forgiveness. Job's 42, Job 42.10 says this, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he'd done before. And I think it's, I think it's significant to know when it happened. After he released his friends, after he forgave them, look, God blessed him. And I want us to recognize the power of forgiveness. And yeah, there's things that, that are not fair in life. There are times you're going to be dealt, um, someone's going to treat you unjustly. Someone's not going to be fair. They're going to wrong you. But the Bible moves us to release offenders. Now, why can we do this? Because I know that's easier said than done. Let's think about what the Bible says. 
Let's recognize what God's Word says, that, that we can release offenders. If, if, if your husband has offended you, if your wife has offended you, you can, you can release them. If a coworker has offended you, you can release them. Why? Well, first of all, God disciplines offenders. You realize that, right? God disciplines offenders. When somebody does something that's unjust, let me tell you, God sees that. And I am amazed at the number of people that live their lives and they, and they don't recognize that, they, that God sees everything that they do. He sees you. Don't ever forget that. that. That when you wrong somebody, when somebody wrongs you, God sees that. And let me tell you, God is good at disciplining offenders. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And before you go, that's right. That's right. Let's remember that when we're the offenders, God sees us. Now, God promises to deal with people. And so, we can release offenders. We can also release offenders because we know this about offenses. You, you know this. We know the, what, the, what the Bible says here, that, that God, prom, God promises to turn offenses into blessings. God does this all the time. He did this in Joseph's life. He turned offenses into blessings. He does this to us all the time. We know Romans 8. You, you, ought, to, you ought to know the great eight. Romans 8 is called the great eight. That's a, that's a chapter that would be worth putting to memory in your life. But Romans 8 says this, and we know that for, the, for those who love God, all things work together for good. What, what things? All things. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, that we know that even offenses God uses for good, even difficult circumstances God uses for good. And here's what I know about offenses and offenders. When I'm offended, God is so masterful at turning that around into a blessing. And that's a mystery of God that causes us to scratch our head. And we may not see it right away, but know this. God turns offenses to blessing. And do you know another reason why I'm moved to release people that offend me? And, I, and, and this is a biblical principle that you see all throughout Scripture that God forgave all my mess-ups. God forgave me. And I'll tell you, when I'm wronged, let, let me, I, I'm, I'm moved to remember, God, you have forgiven me. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, if, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And, and you know what? I looked this up. Do you know that a grizzly bear learns real early not to attack a skunk? Learn, they learn that real quick. I mean, at first they see a little cute thing running around. They think, that'd be a good little snack. He does that once. And then that skunk sprays him, and he's like, I'm not going to do that again. Because he realizes the consequences of that little snack, that's not what I want to embrace. You know what I pray we learn today? The consequences of unforgiveness. It's not worth it. The consequences of, of keeping a record of wrongs, it's not worth it. 
And, and I, I want to just say to you, I've got, a, I've got a, a, an appointment on my calendar this, this week that is causing me to really have to put this into practice because I've got to face some, a situation where I've been wronged and I'm, I'm going to face it. But I have to keep coming to this with the reality that I've got to release my offender. So I'm telling you, I'm, as, even as your pastor, I'm not sitting here going, oh, y'all ought to do that. I'm sitting here going, I got to do that. I got to do that this week. And I, I know it's not easy. But I'll tell you, I, I keep remembering that bitterness has a cost. But so does forgiveness. Forgiveness has a cost that I want to pay that produces great things for, for me. It produces restoration in my heart. And, and, and I, I keep remembering how much God's forgiven me, so I'm compelled to offer forgiveness to this person. And, and so I keep trying to remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 when he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And I'll tell you, you may think, Chris, this is hard. I know it is. But God didn't call us to easy. God called us to obedience to him. He called us to, to, to recognize his word and submit to it. And you know, even though it's not easy, when we realize that God's word is, is right, and we realize, when we realize that God's plan is better, you know what I find? His burden is easy, and his yoke is light, that it is, really is the best plan, that life moving forward in forgiveness and in releasing offenders, in, in putting God's word into practice, it produces joy, it produces hope. It produces peace. And so we see that, that, look, love is patient. Look back at verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It keeps no record of wrongs. And so my prayer is that we... Today, release the wrongs. We, we tear up the ledger. We stop holding it against those that have offended us. We, we don't hold it against them anymore. Job teaches us to admit the hurt. He teaches us to, to not to retaliate. He teaches us to, to release the offender. But then, do you know what else he teaches us? He helps us refocus our life. And you know what I want to challenge us to do is to refocus our life. Turn, refocus on what God has for us. Refocus on God's plan for us. And, and you might think, well, how do we do that? Well, Job 11 says, look what he did. In Job 11, 13 and 16, he says, If you prepare your heart, you will stretch out your hands toward him. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away. And let not injustice dwell in your tents. 
Surely then you will lift up your face without blemish. You will be secure and will not fear. Now there's a lot to unpack there, but let's think about it for a second. When you look at this passage, uh, Job, what does he do first? He, he, he works through his own struggles. And I want to challenge you right now, work through your own struggles. It's easy to look at the struggles of other, other people. It's easy to look at the failures in others. But Job sets an example, work through your own struggles. And we see that in verses 13 through 15 of Job 10. Be willing to do that. Be willing to say, God, help me through my own struggles for me to walk into the week, I, this appointment I have on my calendar this week and not to admit my own struggles would, be a, would lead me to potential bitterness and lashing out and retaliation. But when I work through my own struggles, I'm, I tend to go, okay, hold on. Um, I've got to put some things out of my life. I've got to get right with the Lord. Then look at verse 16 in Job 10. It's so interesting, his example. He says, once you do this, once you work through your struggles, you will forget your misery. You will remember it as waters that have passed away. I think it's interesting how how he was able to release the failure and move on. And, and you know what I, what I pray that we do today is when somebody wrongs us, we release that failure and we move on. I think it's interesting that he says, you'll forget your misery. Because sometimes when, when we're wronged, we feel miserable. But, but when we release it, we forget our misery. You'll remember it as waters that, is, that have passed away. It doesn't mean that we're going to forget the offense that happened. I mean, I'm going to have to come face to face with a guy that has offended me on this week. And, and, and you know, when I do, I'm not going to forget the offense. But, but look, uh, my brain's still going to remember it. But, but what I need to do is release it, though. I need to release it. I need to move on. And, and, and though sometimes forgiveness is a process, isn't it? And, and I've found that in my own life, uh, it's like in my marriage, Robin and I have learned the trifecta as we deal with one another. And, and here's what I mean by that. And this is not in your notes or anything, but, but, it's, but, but I've, we've learned to apologize to one another. You know, if you, if you apologize, you've got to have the trifecta. And the first one is this, I'm sorry. You know, when we wrong one another, you know, in our marriage, sometimes we, we're the most likely to wrong one another. I can say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, that's not good enough. That's a good step. That's the start. That's point number one on the trifecta. You can say, I'm sorry. But how many times have we just said sorry? Then you got to go to the second step. I was wrong. Isn't that hard? I was wrong. Wrong. When that comes out, you're like, that's hard to say. Everybody say it. Practice. Wrong. Wrong. Isn't that hard to say? It's weird, the W and the R, we just want to throw it out of the English language, right? Wrong. But, but you know how powerful it is to look at somebody and say, I was wrong. I'm sorry I was wrong, but don't miss the third part of the trifecta. Would you please forgive me? That's humbling, to ask for forgiveness. And, 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 you know, uh, there have been times in our marriage when I can remember one time we, had, we, we went through the trifecta. I'm, Robin said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? And then, you know how it is, later on we brought it back up. I, I brought it back up. We. I said, see, I brought it back up. 
And then she goes, whoa, 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 you've already forgiven me. And I was like, oh, yeah, I did. Dang it. I forgave you for that. I can't bring it back up. Yep, can't bring it back up. It's in the vault. So there have been lots of times we said, that's in the vault. Look, we've got to learn that forgiveness is sometimes a process. And, and I've, I've learned sometimes that over, I have to say multiple times, God, I'm mad again. Can I bring this back to you? And, and, and you know what I find? The more I do that, the more I, I, I release it, and, and, and the more I keep giving it back to the Lord, the more I start to realize I'm not bitter anymore. I'm not mad anymore. I'm, I'm not, when I hear that person's name, I'm not wishing he gets a, toe, a toothpick in his toenail and kicks a wall or something, you know? I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have said that. But, but, but you know, doesn't that make your stomach hurt? Um, that's probably all you're going to remember from this sermon. But, um, but, you know, we learn to forgive. We learn to release. My prayer is that we don't keep a record of wrongs. So today, can we tear up the ledger? Let me tell you, it's time to tear up the ledger. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your head, just right where you are. And Joe's going to come up, and as you bow your head today, let's go to the Lord. God's telling us today to love like he's called us to love. We keep no record of wrongs. But some of you go, Chris, you don't understand the hurt that's in my heart. I may not, but I know God does. And if right now you will admit your hurt, that'll be significant. So can you just go to the Lord right now? And in a time of just music's going to play, I'm just going to give you a minute to go to the Lord and admit your hurt. Do that right now. Boy, there's power in a moment of reflection. And now, now I want you to go back to the Lord and just commit to him today that you're going to refuse to retaliate. Would you be bold enough to go to him and confess that to him?
Now together, I want us to put our hands out in front of us as our heads are bowed. I want you to open your hands in front of you. And if you're offended, you've been offended by somebody that you're holding that ledger on, I want to challenge you to just open your hands and say to the Lord, Lord, help me release this person. Get their face in your mind. Ask the Lord to help you release them right now. You know what you just did? You just refocused your life. Let's ask the Lord right now. Lord, help me stay focused on you. Would you just ask him that? Lord Jesus, we bow before you right now. And I praise you, I thank you that you don't just call us to forgive. But then you come inside of us and and through us and you help us forgive. So I pray for the restoration of marriages in this room. For those watching online, I pray for the restoration of families. Father, I pray for forgiveness in our church. Lord, with this family member that I'll meet with this week, I pray I would release him. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that you've shown us. And Lord Jesus, I pray that we would honor you with our lives. Help us love this world like you've called us to love it. And Lord, you, you, we can do it because you've loved us first. So, Father, as we worship you, as we end our time together, we ask that you would walk with us and lead us and convict us and draw us. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.